Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to the Illuminated Heart podcast. My name is Ahlam Riyashi and I am your host. This podcast is for the souls who seek to find holistic healing in Allah and who desire to become better versions of themselves spiritually, mentally and emotionally. We will be exploring topics on mental health, combined with Islamic spirituality, as well as incorporating tips on self-love, healing, empowerment, positive mindset, and more. So if you are that soul that is interested on embarking this journey, I am so glad you're here. Let's start healing together. Today I'd like to talk about what it means to be Muslim and to suffer from depression. Depression is a mental illness in which someone experiences low moods for more than two weeks, feelings of hopelessness, great despair, sadness, worthlessness, guilt, pessimism, and lacking in purpose. It is the most common mental health illness. The symptoms include low energy, insomnia, anxious eating or poor appetite, weight loss, disinterest in activities, social isolation, a lack of concentration, and even suicidal ideation. It's actually twice as common in females as it is for males. And there are many different reasons as to why someone can experience depression. The causes can range from social factors such as major life events, due to the loss of something you value greatly, whether that be a loved one or a job, or perhaps moving home, relocating. It can be due to psychological factors such as experiencing traumatic incidences, abuse, neglect. There is also depression known as reactive depression, which can be a result of experiencing something very traumatic, such as divorce, It can also be due to biological factors, so it is known that an imbalance in hormones can cause depression. So our hormones do affect our mental state, and that's why it affects females more, because females experience changes in hormones throughout the month and throughout the year. So low estrogen is actually linked to depression. And there can be also nutritional imbalances that cause depression, such as low vitamin D. And sometimes it can also be due to no reason at all. So what does it mean to be Muslim and to suffer from depression? First of all, it means that you are human. You're struggling with something mentally and emotionally. Hardships are a fact of life and affect our mental health. Does it mean that you have low Iman? No, it doesn't. This is a very common misunderstanding by people. It is a belief that has probably been implanted in you by your parents or the people you grew up with. They correlate depression and suffering in your mental health with having low Iman. Although our religion is an excellent coping mechanism in dealing with hardships, Suffering from depression has no correlation with your iman whatsoever. Those with the best of iman 
also suffer from periods of depression, although they may not be aware of it or want to accept it. This wrong belief of correlating depression, mental health illness with low iman is a belief that instills guilt and shame. If you are someone that has been raised with this belief and you have adopted that belief within you, that it's somewhere within your subconscious, you fight the reality of your emotions because you feel shame for feeling depressed and you feel guilty for feeling depressed. Another common cultural belief is being told that being depressed means you're ungrateful for the blessings that you have been blessed with. This is not the case at all. Being depressed does not mean that you're ungrateful for your blessings. And being told this further adds another layer of shame and it results in the individual feeling more depressed rather than better. Have you ever come across a situation where someone has told you, stop being depressed, you're being ungrateful for the blessings and it's made you feel better and made you feel grateful? No, it hasn't. Another belief that some people hold is that depression does not exist in Islam. It doesn't have a place in Islam. This is a wrong understanding of mental health and how mental health is actually inclusive in Islam. Experiencing depression is a human experience and even the prophets weren't exempt from it. They went through great hardship and although they were the greatest in Iman above us, they at times went through periods of extreme sadness, depression, distress and anxiety. I want to share a few examples of ayahs in the Quran where the Prophet ﷺ was comforted by Allah in times of grief and sadness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nahl, ayah 127. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and be patient, O Muhammad. And your patience is not but through Allah. And do not grieve over them. And do not be in distress over what they conspire. Subhanallah. Allah is saying to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Do not grieve over them. And do not be in distress. How amazing is that? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying this to the Prophet. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Be patient. First of all, does the Prophet, peace be upon him, not know how to be patient? He was the most patient to ever walk upon this earth. But it is a reminder for him to be patient. And then the main point, Allah is saying to him, do not grieve. Do not be in distress. Look at this. Allah is acknowledging the Prophet's feeling of sadness. Allah is embracing him with gentleness and empathy. He's saying, I understand. I understand that you're grieving. I understand that you're upset. I understand that you're in distress about what they're doing to you. And it's so amazing. There's so much healing that we find in this simply by what Allah is saying to the Prophet, peace be upon him. 
It reminds us that Allah knows and understands our sadness. And secondly, he did not shame the Prophet peace be upon him for feeling grief or sad or distress. So he does not shame us for feeling sad or having grief. Rather, he gently tries to help us out of our sadness by reminding us, be patient and don't grieve about it in a loving and gentle way. We find similar words like this in Surah An-Naml, Ayah 70, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is again saying to the Prophet, and do not grieve over them, nor be in distress over what they conspire. And again, in Surah Yunus, in Ayah 65, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ قَوْلُهُمْ And do not grieve over their words. And then again in Surah Al-Hijr, Ayah 88, Allah says, وَلَا تَحْزَنْ عَلَيْهِمْ Do not grieve over them. Again and again, Allah is saying these words to the Prophet, Do not grieve. Do not be distressed over what they're saying. Allah is comforting the Prophet, peace be upon him, throughout his prophetic journey of being ridiculed, of being abused, of being slandered. It hurts him. He's a human being. It's a human experience to feel these things. And Allah is there constantly with him on this journey saying to him, you know, it's okay, I'm here. Don't be sad about it. Don't grieve about the things that they're saying. There is a profound lesson in this for us. And that is that the acknowledgement of someone's mental illness is the first step in helping them heal. So it is Allah acknowledging the Prophet, peace be upon him, sadness here is teaching us that. Another example we find in the Quran is in Surah Maryam, Ayah 24. And the translation says, But he called her from below her. Do not grieve. Your Lord has provided beneath you a stream. And this is Jesus, peace be upon him, Isa saying to his mum, as a newborn baby, while she was giving birth to him, he was inspired by Allah to say to his mum, Do not grieve. Your Lord has provided beneath you a stream. Subhanallah. Allah inspired the baby to speak to the mother, to tell her do not grieve, to tell her it's okay, to comfort her. Allah is comforting Maryam through her child by inspiring him to say these words. And Maryam she also said something very profound, which Allah shares in Ayah 23, just above this. She said, Oh, I wish I had died before this and was in oblivion, forgotten. Subhanallah, what does this ayah say to us? These words that Maryam said, that, oh, I wish I had died before this. Because of the pain that she was going through, the anguish she was going through, the psychological stress she was going through, having this baby whom had no father, and what would people think, and what would people say, and all that stress and that baggage that comes around this event that she was experiencing, and the pain of this childbirth that she was in right now, she said this statement, oh, I wish I had died before this. She was a woman of strong iman, of strong faith, but what made her say such words that she wished she would have died in this situation? 
It is the heaviness of the burden that she was carrying. And this is another element that we experience in the Muslim community, which we don't talk much about, and that is suicide and suicidal ideation. That is something that I can perhaps talk about in another episode, inshallah. Then we continue and see another example in Surah Al-Qasas, ayah number 7, where Musa's mother was told by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, cast him into the river and do not fear and do not grieve. Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comforting this woman who's abandoning her baby on the instruction of Allah and telling her and comforting her that do not grieve. And how could we forget the story of Prophet Yaqub alayhi salam, the father of Yusuf, and the story of Yusuf's brothers abandoning him and that causing Prophet Yaqub so much grief, so much grief that Allah mentions it in the Quran that his eyes went white with grief, meaning he went blind and he was filled with sorrow. His sorrow was so great and he cried so much that he went blind. Subhanallah. First of all, if sadness and grief and depression and crying is wrong in Islam, Allah would have forbidden it. But the amazing thing is that Allah revealing this ayah to us in the Quran shows us that these prophets were also human beings who experienced great grief, sorrow, hardship. They went through extreme difficulty in their lives. This is a prophet of Allah. He had great iman and yet he was so stricken in grief that he lost his eyesight and he wept for years, was in grief for years, to the extent that his sons would say to him, you will ruin your health if you do not stop thinking about Yusuf, or you might even die. So his grief was such that he became sick in his health, and they feared about his well-being. Subhanallah, this is an ayah 85 in Surah Yusuf. I would highly recommend you read the tafsir in this and listen to the tafsir, uh, the deeper translation, the deeper story behind this. But you know what Yaqub alayhi salam says after this? He says, Innama ashku bathi wa huzni ilallah. I complain of my grief and sorrow only to Allah. Only to Allah. Subhanallah. This is an ayah I absolutely love and which I have constantly repeated during my difficult times. Always reminding myself that I complain my grief and my sorrow to Allah. Why? It is because Allah is the one who knows the extent of your pain more than anyone else. So this is a great lesson for us that even those people in the greatest of iman are still human beings who can suffer from mental health issues because of the trials that we are tested with in life. But it's our Islam, it's our religion that keeps us together and keeps us strong as best as we can. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly repeats in the Quran, فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ And for them there will be no fear and no grief. And this is referring to the believers who will enter paradise. So many times in the Quran, Allah says this. When he's referring to the believers, 
he is reminding us that there will be no fear upon them and no grief. Why is there so much repetition and emphasis on these two emotions, fear and grief? It is because these are the common emotions we feel throughout this worldly life and which we will be free of in paradise. Hazen, grief, sadness, distress, all of these things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always reminding us that. I know you're experiencing this constantly in this world and it's painful and it's hard and it's exhausting, but you will be free from this. You'll be free from these feelings in Jannah. You'll be free from grief and sadness and misery and depression and despair. That is the amazingness of Jannah. Islamic physicians and scholars of the past, such as Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, Abu Zayd al-Balqi, Ibn Sina, Abu Yusuf al-Kindi, these amazing legends recognized mental health and they treated it in sophisticated ways. Whilst at the same time, in that era, mentally ill people in the Western world were discarded in society. They were seen as possessed by the devil, they were locked up in cells, and they were kept in dehumanized conditions. Islamic physicians, though, were greatly advanced in their understanding of mental health problems and understood that there are biological, physical, psychological and social factors that cause mental health illnesses and it's not just related to spiritual factors. They understood that the remedy for mental health problems, it wasn't just a matter of reading Quran, praying salah and doing dhikr. Although they involved spiritual practices to help patients, they treated patients with an approach that involved assessing all factors. So it included psychological, social, biological, and physical factors. Their treatments involved personalized diets, DIB, which is what we understand to be naturopathic therapies to balance the body, art therapy, auditory therapy, so sounds to help induce healing, like the sound of water and birds, cupping, also known as hijama, sport therapy, so they instructed some patients to do horse riding, and also ruqya, which is the recitation of Quranic verses for healing in its entirety, not just spiritual healing, but also physical and emotional and mental healing. Al-Balkhi distinguished between everyday sadness, known as huzn, and clinical depression, which he called jaza'a. He also distinguished between biological and environmental factors causing depression. And this was back in the 9th century. Subhanallah. So they were so comprehensive in their understanding about mental health. He further understood the need for different treatment depending on the type of depression. So he viewed medication being more effective for biological depression. And he suggested talk therapy could be sufficient for environmental depression. Some say that he was also one of the first people in history to suggest talk therapy. Al-Ghazali, who was one of the greatest philosophers and mystics of Islam from the 11th century, made a clear distinction on sorrow resulting from environmental factors and sorrow that has no apparent reason. 
Did you know that the very first comprehensive hospital was founded in the 8th century in Baghdad by the Abbasid Khalifa Harun al-Rashid? Subhanallah, it's amazing how our Islamic history is so rich and sophisticated in dealing with mental health illnesses. So, how can we as Muslims navigate through depression? My recommendation is the first step is to speak to someone. Whether you prefer to speak to someone close to you or to prefer to speak to a professional in a private setting, saying out loud to yourself and then to another person that you are depressed, you're unhappy and you're greatly struggling to get through your days takes a lot of courage and bravery. It isn't an easy step at all, especially if you've never spoken about your feelings before. But once you become honest with yourself about your emotions and share it with someone else who listens, you will feel a great weight lifted. As we mentioned before, it is the acknowledgement that starts to bring healing. So acknowledging yourself in the reality of your emotions and having someone else to acknowledge what you're experiencing. And acknowledgement can only take place in self-awareness. So I would highly recommend for you to take some time alone to sit with your thoughts and your feelings without distraction, whether that be journaling or taking a mindful walk alone outside. That is the first step in coming to understand what's really going on inside of you. Because if you can't understand it within yourself, you won't be able to share it with another. I've mentioned it before in episode three about being very mindful and careful about who you speak to. And I would say the same for this as well. Very, very sensitive topic in which if you speak to the wrong person and they respond in the wrong ways, it can have a devastating impact on your mental health and it may even push you into depression even further. So if you unfortunately happen to open up to someone who has those beliefs that depression has no place in Islam, or you're being ungrateful for your blessings, or that you are low in your iman, it is going to affect you spiritually, it's going to add layers of shame and guilt onto you, and it's going to make you feel less likely to open up again. It's going to have a negative impact on you. So... I would highly recommend that the best person to speak to is a professional, a mental health counsellor, and sometimes, sometimes even better, a Muslim mental health counsellor. Now, not all Muslim counsellors know how to respond to you, and not all Muslim counsellors will be the best fit for you. I know personally of people who have had sessions with Muslim counsellors, and unfortunately, they felt even worse afterwards. And that's what we don't want. So looking for the right counsellor takes some time and it's not easy. Sometimes you might even have better support and acknowledgement by a non-Muslim counsellor. It doesn't matter as such at this point what religion they are. It is simply someone who has empathy and someone who can listen to you well and someone who can help you out of your depression. Depression is a personal experience and everyone deals with it differently and finds ways of coping with it differently. 
And I'm sitting here trying to ask myself, how did I get myself out of depression in many phases of my life? So that I can share that with you. For me personally, alongside of seeking a professional, that was definitely a very, very important one. Especially when you're going through extreme major depression, it is understated. You can't speak to anyone about the situation that you're in or why your mental health is in such a deteriorated state. And it takes a professional to understand the dynamic that is happening from what you share with them. A friend or a family member may not necessarily pick up the things that you're sharing and see the pattern behind it, but that's where a professional is such high value for you in these situations. Even though I may have been struggling financially, I knew that it was a priority for me to pay money towards this, towards a professional counsellor, because my mental health matters. I matter. The, The second recommendation I can give is that cross things off your to-do list. Make your life as easier as possible. Instead of doing more, stop and do less. Relax, slow down. I know it isn't easy, especially for us women, especially for mothers. It is not easy. We're constantly in this pattern of putting others first and neglecting our own needs and not attending to our own self-care. But this is where your self-care is the most important, okay? So ask for help, whether it's from your family members or you have enough money to hire people to help you, whether to hire a cleaner or to buy meals for the week and you don't want to do any cooking or to ask your family members to take your child or your children for a day or two days so that you can simply sleep so that you can simply get rest for your body, for your mind, for your soul. Alleviating the responsibilities that are on your shoulders, I think is a very important way of helping yourself while you're going through depression. Notifying your friends and family members that you're not feeling yourself right now, you're going through a really tough time, you're struggling to cook, you're struggling to look after the house, you're struggling to look after the kids, you're struggling to survive, you're struggling to get out of bed every morning. It's okay to say these things so that they are able to be there for you, so that they're able to understand that you're not your full self and they shouldn't put more pressure on you or expect the same things from you. And hopefully, if you have loving family members who care about you, they'll be able to support you by alleviating your burden, someone probably bringing you food or someone cleaning your house, someone taking the kids, whether it be family or friends, it's so important to have that support system around you. Unfortunately, not everyone has those blessings in their lives. Not everyone has family around them or They may have family, but they're not really understanding and they're not really supportive and they're shaming them for not being able to do much. If that is your situation, then I'd say leave those people to the side. Focus on yourself. Let them think what they think. Let them say what they want to say. At the moment, you are the priority. At the moment, 
you need to get better so that you can be the best to those that you love. So it takes sacrifice, especially as a mother, as a woman, to say, you know what, I need to book myself two days away without the kids, time for myself to look after myself and to heal. You need to give the permission to yourself to do that. Before you ask others, you need to give that permission to yourself. And you need to know that you're worthy of doing that for yourself. So self-care, in whatever way that fills your cup, doing things that fill your cup, that bring you joy, doing things like that on a regular basis will start to lift up your spirits and make you feel better. It's also a great idea to contact your doctor and speak to them about your mental health. Don't be afraid to take medication to help you get better. Just as you would take medication if you're physically ill, taking medication for your mental health is equally important. Make life easier for yourself. You don't have to carry the burden of trying to get yourself better on your own. Use all the support that you can get, whether that be around people or medication or professional help. Anyway, use all these ways to get yourself feeling better. Like our ancient Islamic scholars who took a holistic approach to someone's well-being, also sit down and assess what are the things that are affecting your mental well-being. So is it your environment that is causing you to be depressed? Is it the people around you? Is it that you have a nutritional or hormonal deficiency that needs to be addressed? Is it that you have not been looking after yourself and you're burnt out? Is it a traumatic experience that you've been going through? Whatever the circumstance, try to assess what are the things around you? What are the factors that are affecting your mental health? And within each factor, try to address it appropriately. So take a holistic approach in trying to treat yourself. Get yourself booked for a blood test so that you can check if you have any deficiencies. Low vitamin D is linked with depression, as well as low thyroid levels as well. So it is worthwhile to have a full physical check. And then also looking at other factors such as your diet, your sleep. If there's people around you who are negatively impacting you, find ways to move yourself away from those people. Surround yourself with people that help you feel better, that make you feel better, that bring joy into your life and happiness. If it is a loss that you've recently experienced, whatever that loss is, whether it's a person or a thing, surround yourself with people who give you the space to talk about your loss, give you the space to grieve and really feel your emotions. To be honest, with depression, you can try to do all of these things, but sometimes nothing actually works, nothing actually helps because you are in such darkness and it's hard. It takes time. And it's a matter of really feeling your emotions, really sitting with your emotions. Cry if you need to. Cry, let it out, release it. Especially in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is one of the aspects that you should never let go of. Hold on to Allah, as I've mentioned before in my previous episode. I know depression makes it really hard for us to commit to our ibadah, to our worship, It makes it hard to get up and pray. It makes it hard to wake up for fajr. It makes it hard to even be conscious when you're praying. 
you know, you don't really feel spiritually connected sometimes. That's normal and that's okay. We all experience phases like that. So don't be hard on yourself, but continue to take action because the biggest thing that will help you get out of this is your faith and you yourself, your strength, your courage, your commitment, your dedication to wanting to get better. Shaitan loves to see us in a depressed state and he wants to keep us in that state because he knows in that state it's much more difficult for us to worship Allah and we can become so consumed in our negative thoughts that it actually pushes us away from our faith. We start to question life, we start to question why we are suffering in these ways and sometimes people do get into very scary places where they question Allah and they start to question their existence and it can lead on to suicidal ideation. It's not an uncommon thing for Muslims to experience that. In fact, it's very common. So shaitan will continue to keep you in those negative loops, in those negative thinking patterns. And you are the one who can get yourself out of this with your willpower, with your strength, and with the people around you who will listen to you. You know more than anyone else what you're suffering with and what you're going through. You know more than anyone else what you're feeling. And you are the best healer for yourself. You are the one who can get yourself out of this. I speak about journaling all the time, but I believe journaling is an amazing way of helping you get through those tough times. Because if you cannot open up to people, then at least sit down with a pen and paper and open up to yourself. Share what you really feel. That's the first step. From there, you'll be able to start to see the thoughts that are actually on your mind. When you actually read the negative things that you're saying to yourself, you'll be able to recognize it and then change it. From there, you can start to incorporate positive beliefs, positive thinking, positive mindset, positive affirmations. So you stop the negative thinking in its tracks and incorporate compassion and positive thinking into your system. You can write and say to yourself, I'm going through a really hard time right now. I'm really sad. I don't know how I can get through this. But Allah gives me the strength and inshallah I will find a way. And you can make a dua there as well and say, Ya Allah, help me out of this difficulty. One beautiful dua that the Prophet ﷺ taught us Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan wa a'udhu bika min al-ajsi wal-kasal wa a'udhu bika min al-bukhli wal-jubd wa a'udhu bika min dhal'i al-dayni wa ghalabati al-rijal Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from grief and sadness, from weakness and from laziness, from miserliness and from cowardice, and from being overcome by debt and overpowered by men. You can continue to repeat the first part of this dua, saying, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from grief and sadness. From grief and sadness. Repeat this again and again. Ask Allah by his beautiful names. He is al-wadud, the most loving. He is al-shafi, the healer of all our diseases. He is the most aware of our situation more than we know it ourselves. 
He is Al-Qadir, the one who decrees our destiny. So he is the one who can change our destiny. He is Al-Mujib, the responder to our du'as. He is As-Sami'u Sawt. He is the one who hears our voices before we even utter a word. He is Al-Latif, the most gentle, the most subtle. Al-Rahim, the most compassionate. The one who holds you in his compassion. The one who holds you in his mercy. The one who sees your tears, who hears your cries, who knows your pain more than anyone else knows it in this world. So call out to him. He hears you and he is with you every step of the way. Don't desert Allah at the time where you need him the most. This is exactly what shaitan wants you to do. So fight him. Fight him. Don't let him win. Say to him, you are not going to win. You're not going to take me away from my Rabb. You're not going to take me away from my Lord, whom I need at this moment in my life. Another beautiful dua that I love to repeat is, Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta taj'alul hazna idha shi'ta sahla. Oh Allah, there is no ease except in that which you have made easy. And you make difficulty, if you wish, easy. There is no better time than now to learn these amazing du'as. Learn new du'as and use it in your speech with Allah. This is the time to draw nearer to Him and this is the way that you will get yourself out of that difficult darkness. Whatever du'as and ayahs you know that can bring you comfort and peace, repeat them. Allah is sufficient for us and the best trustee. You hand over your worries, your grief to Allah and he will make it disappear for you. And at the same time, it's taking action to get yourself better. It's easier said than done, but don't allow the darkness to consume you. Take time for yourself. There's days where you need to sit with the grief, to sit with the sadness. Don't do anything. Just shut yourself out. There's days we need to do that. It happens for all of us. You have to go through that phase. You can't fight it. Allow yourself to feel what you need to feel at that point, And then slowly start to pick yourself up. It's okay to have some sad days, and that's very much normal. But allowing the darkness to consume us for long periods of time, that's when it becomes problematic and affects our livelihood and affects our well-being. That's what we don't want. Doing some form of exercise is an excellent way of boosting your mood because it releases endorphins, good happy hormones inside your body. So... Participate in any type of sport that you enjoy that gets your heart pumping, your body moving and makes you feel happy. So a quick summary on the points that I've shared. Do the things that make you feel happy. Whether that be staying inside, whether that be going outside, whatever works for you. Make your life easier. Ask for support. Remove things from your to-do list. Try to do the things that make you happy. Keep a relationship with Allah. Talk to professionals, talk to people who will listen to you, surround yourself with people who make you feel better, who make you laugh, who make you feel happy, remove yourself from people who make you feel negative. And yeah, those are the main points that I can share 
on how to help yourself through depression as a Muslim. So I hope this episode has helped you a lot on what it means to be Muslim and to suffer from depression, how we can help ourselves through depression, and also about the rich Islamic history that we have in understanding mental health and how they were so advanced in treating it. Do share this podcast with all your friends and family so that we can raise awareness on these topics and have discussions about it. And inshallah, I'll see you again here very soon. Mm-hmm.